So fast, so Monday already, lo. Jokong, jokong, whole day. Time fast, time fast, 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 fast by. Ah, uh, okay, all right. It's Monday, Monday, the fifteenth of March, and we're looking at four new passages today, four new chapters from our Bible reading plan. This is the daily Bible reading show, and welcome, welcome, welcome again. Today we are looking. At Exodus chapter twenty-six, John chapter five, Proverbs chapter two, and Galatians chapter one. Oh, by the way, I got this today. Hehehehe. <laughs> Hi, very nice neighbors. Thank you so much, neighbor. I shall enjoy this later for dessert. Now we shall pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for nice neighbors who remind us just how. You know, wonderful it is to show love to the people around us, and how infectious it is. How it reminds us of your command to us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So help us to do that. Help us. Uh, please speak to us in your word today and teach us how to love, how to be neighborly, how to be gracious, and especially how to display, how to display that gospel in our lives through speech and through action. Uh, help us especially today as we read through Exodus, John's Gospel, Proverbs. And Galatians, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. So thank you for joining me again.、Um, <laughs> no one watches this. It's okay though. I was talking to a couple of friends yesterday.、Uh, one guy, one guy yesterday at church, and I was saying how I do this every day, and I say no one watches this, but it's okay. It's kind of like practice. You know, you have to practice. Getting used to talking to the camera and just turning on the the computer every day, and so that you forget about the camera and forget about the computer and the lights and everything, and just concentrate on the Bible.、Uh, I mean, admittedly, that's what you want to do、uh, by just concentrating on the Bible. But you know, all these elements come to play on Sunday. You have to click buttons, you have to turn on the camera, you have to worry about stuff like that blue light behind, and you want to not have to worry about that by just You know, get you just get used to, to doing it every day, and you just get onto it. So I'm getting onto it today. Exodus chapter twenty six. <laughs> so random. And we are reading about the tabernacle. Tabernacle just means tent. Tabernacle, T E N T. Tent means going camping. So this is God's camp, God's tent, which He is giving instructions to Moses to build. Well, not him. To, well, he's supposed to have the instructions and supposed to get people to build it, but Moses gets the、uh, architect plans or the IKEA plans. You know, the assembly. Yeah. So here it is, Exodus chapter twenty-six. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen. How does it work? A ten? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. So you can imagine it a bit like that blue and some purple. So yeah, you can imagine that all these curtains.、Um, I guess before they had like vinyl and whatever they use for tent today. So they use linen, twined linen. I'm just going. To, I'm just going to read before and not make too many comments. You shall make them with. Cherubim. Cherubim means angels, skillfully worked into them, into the patterns of these curtains. 
the length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits. I think I need to look at the footnotes. 28 cubit. One cubit is 18 inches or 45 meters, centimeters. So do the math. 28 cubits. And the breadth of each curtain, four cubits. All the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And the other five shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost, outermost curtain in the second set. 50 loops you shall make on the one curtain, and 50 loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another, and you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. Verse 7, you shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shall you make. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. The eleven curtains shall be the same size. You shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves and the sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tenth. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set. You shall make 50 clasps of bronze and put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be a single whole. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. And the extra that remains in the length of the curtain, the cubit on the one side and the cubit on the other side, shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle, on this side and that side to cover it. And you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ram's skins and a covering of goat skins on top. You shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits shall be the length of a frame, and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. There shall be two tenons in each frame for fitting together, so you shall do for all the frames of the tabernacle. You shall make the frames of the tabernacle twenty frames for the south side, and forty bases of silver you shall make under the twenty frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, twenty frames, and there are forty bases of silver, two bases under one frame, and two bases under the next frame. And for the rear of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six frames, and you shall make two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear. They shall be separate beneath, but joined at the top, at the first ring. Thus it shall be with both of them. They shall form the two corners. And there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases, two bases under one frame, and two bases under another frame. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames on of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. 
the middle bar halfway up the frames shall run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold and shall make their rings of gold for holders for the bars and you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that it will for it that you were shown on the mountain. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold and hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veils from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate from you, for you the holy place and from the most holy place. You shall put the mercy seat on the Ark of the Testimony in the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table and you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. Cool, cool, cool. So this are plans for this huge tent that um, is separated into two sections. Did you notice that there is the holy place and the most holy place? And in the most holy place, there's to be this ark this kind of coffee table box with the cover the atonement cover the mercy seat and inside of it there's going to be the testimony or the two tablets the ten commandments placed inside this ark and outside the most holy place is the holy place with the table and the lamp and so this tent is meant to be very intricate you know it's meant to it's meant to be covered on all sides and there are two sections to it and notice as well it's meant to be following this pattern that Moses would receive on the mountain almost as if to mirror an original so he sees the plans the plans are given to him and yes he, he must make it God says exactly according to that plan meaning actually this is almost like a picture or an illustration of what's happening with God in heaven so this is a picture of maybe even heaven or God's dwelling place, God's throne in heaven. And you get some clues about that. Um, again, in the fact that Moses says you must follow this pattern, it's meant to be this illustration. But also these angels, these angels are meant to be worked or maybe woven. Their designs, you can see angel, angel, angel in the sides of the walls, well, the, the tent curtains, meaning, you know, this is like heaven. But also in the cover of the entrances uh, that separate, or what not entrance, the curtain that separates the holy place and the most holy place. Is that right? Uh, let me see. Cherubim. I can't spell cherubim. So, so it's mentioned. Cherubim is mentioned in verse one. It's also mentioned in verse thirty-one in the veil. So the separating curtain between the holy place and the most holy place, almost like guards. And you're meant to remember how there were these angel guards with the flashing sword uh, at the end of Genesis three, when Adam and Eve were meant to leave the garden and weren't able to come back because this angel with the flaming sword was guarding the entrance. And so it's mimicking that Paradise Eden uh, setting that we saw in the beginning of Genesis. 
And God is saying, that's where God is. That's how you come into God's entrance and how there is still this barrier, you know, this separation between God and us, his holiness, these angels, these curtains. Um, but yeah, it sets up that picture of God's dwelling place in this tent. And if you remember when Jesus died on the cross, the, this particular curtain was torn into two from top to bottom. Uh, at that point of time, it was in the temple already, so there, there was a more permanent structure. But there was still this, this symbolic curtain to symbolize this, this separation between God and us, his holiness and our unholiness. And that was torn. Jesus himself was that curtain that was torn so that there is now this access. We can come to God's presence and not be destroyed. So that's Exodus chapter 26 about the tent, this tabernacle, this plans for this tent of God. Cool, cool, cool. Let's move on to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. By the way, I posted a podcast about John chapter 5. I did a long time ago, so I just reposted that. Um, I probably should have listened to it again. I haven't, I don't have time to do these things. So I just very quickly read through the passage, and I think there's probably something helpful there. Hopefully, yeah, check it out. <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's look at it together. Now, John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. So it's like one, two, three, four, and then there's one that goes across. And these walkways are all covered by this roofed colonnades, roof walkways. Verse 3, in this lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lamed, paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, uh, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up while I'm going an another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered then, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who? Who is the man who told you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a large crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus, it was Jesus who healed him. And that is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered that my father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus goes to this place, lots of sick people, he heals one of them, and this guy repays Jesus by getting Jesus into trouble. And this guy is not 
a very, very thankful person having been healed because he gets into trouble and he just passes on the blame. He keeps passing on the blame to other people. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? He says, oh, other people are healed before me. They go into the water before me. And now that this man is getting into trouble, who asked you to pick up your mat and walk? And so it was that guy. And he doesn't know who it is. They even ask Jesus, they even thank Jesus. When Jesus meets him again, he says, you know, don't do anything worse or you might get something worse than being invalid for 38 years. And this man, what does he do? He goes back to these uh, like religious policemen and they say, oh, Jesus was the one who got me into trouble. So go, go and find him. He, he, he's the problem. And so here's a guy who receives a blessing, who receives healing miraculously from Jesus, but doesn't seem very thankful and doesn't seem very uh, repentful. Yeah, he... Um, yeah, he, he, he's, he's still blaming everyone around him, <laughs> even though after he's been blessed. And Jesus gets into trouble because it says, verse 16, he was doing these things, i.e. these miracles, these healings. He was doing it on the Sabbath, and that was breaking that rule. Sabbath, you're not supposed to walk, not, not supposed to work, sorry, you, you can walk. But you're not supposed to carry your mat and walk because that means you're doing work. And Jesus was doing this ultimate work of God. And Jesus says, verse 17, my father is working, and so I am working. So we pick up from verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise does also for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives them life so also the son gives life to whom he will for the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son. That's it. Imagine that God has given all his authority to judge people to the son. In the same way, he's given that power to raise the dead to the son. Verse 23 that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He, has not he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Now that the testimony that I receive is from, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, 
but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Interesting, isn't it, that Jesus can say to them these People who reject Jesus, these people who are finding every, every opportunity to find fault with Jesus, to <laughs> it's, it's like you hate someone and you just want to find more reason to hate that person and you find it. Yeah, it's kind of, actually, if anyone, you know, if you really just want to find a reason to hate that person, you will find a reason. But these are the people, Jesus is almost saying, you are the people who should believe in me of all people because, you know, they believe John for a moment. They are very ready to look at miracles and to be wowed by them. But they believe up to an extent. They won't believe all the way and believe in Jesus. And here he says, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And wow, you know, if there is one kind of verse to convict evangelicals and i i consider myself an evangelical someone who believes that scripture has this ultimate authority over tradition you know over over just uh, over everything else you know that scripture is god's word and to say oh search the scriptures because in them you have eternal life he says you think by doing that you have eternal life and yet uh it is they that bear witness about me and yet you refuse to come to me you read something, and this thing that you trust in so much is saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you look at Jesus, you go, no, no, no. <laughs> and he's therefore saying, these things that you trust in will be the ones that condemn you. That's why he says, do you do not think that I will accuse you? There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you set your hope. So it's not just Moses as an individual. But all the writings of Moses, all the law of Moses, all the writings of the law that they're trusting in to say that God therefore approves them or approves me, approves us evangelicals as you know God's chosen people, as people who really know the gospel. And when the gospel says, go to Jesus, go to Jesus. And I think if I'm just speaking to 
like-minded people. You know, I'm not talking. If you disagree with me, um, actually, maybe you have you have a point. Uh, if if you're actually critiquing people like me, you know, why you keep going on about the Bible again and again and again? Maybe you have a point here. But if I were to speak to just my brothers and sisters, you know, in the churches I go to who are like-minded, you know, we, we want to preach the gospel, we want to be faithful to the Bible, we want to do stuff like the daily Bible reading show, this kind of <laughs> this kind of crazy thing every day. If I were to speak to just myself for the moment and say, you know, you you love this word, do you love Jesus? You know, you come to this word, do you actually submit to Jesus' word when he speaks to you? And one day when Jesus speaks this word that brings you back to life and you're risen up again, will you be facing him as your judge or as your savior? And again, I'm speaking to myself, Calvin, you know, you, you know, you're reading this thing. Does it bring you closer to the realization that Jesus is not only real, but you need to come to him, Calvin? You can't just use this as a means by which you say, okay, all right, I've done my bit today. I've read my bit today. Therefore, I'm justified. But no, it's meant to bring you closer and closer to submission and acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is my Lord. And I need to come to him and, and repent before him of all my pride and all my sin and say that you alone are Lord. And that the more I see, see and understand and read about this, the more I need to see that I do not, <laughs> I do not understand. The more I need to see that I need to submit to you and not find ways in which to even convict you through this word that you've spoken to me, to use it as a means by which to justify myself. And he says, you know, this thing, you know, Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? It's a measure of how much how seriously you actually take this word that God has spoken to you, that God is constantly saying to me, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. Don't turn away, but keep coming back to him again and again and again. Cool. John chapter 5. Very, very convicting. I think especially, you know, it's just worthwhile thinking, you know, how does this convict me? Because this is a convicting passage. And we're, we often... I know when I say we, I, I often do this. You know, I preach the passage and I go, those guys over there, you know, they don't, they don't want to come to Jesus. And, and I have to admit, sometimes um, it's easier to point the finger and to point out uh, all those faults of other people. And then I realize, hey, man, you know, have I truly, truly come to Jesus? Or I've, have I really just used this as an, as an excuse not to do that? Um, <laughs> very very convicting yeah verse uh proverbs chapter chap i need water <laughs> how are you doing by the way it's monday first day of the week at least monday is over and there are only four other days but still oh beginning of the week um, actually, if I'm honest, today was quite good. Got a lot done simply because I didn't have any meetings. You just sit down and do the work and then, oh, end of the day already. Time to do daily Bible reading show. And I love days like that. I love days when I can just sit down, just head down, get the job done. Um, doesn't happen very often. <laughs> and, you know, it, it is a luxury. It is a luxury to have a job where you can just focus on that job and have a sense of accomplishments at the end of the day. But most jobs, you know, most jobs are not like that because most jobs are with other people and it means 
you know, relationship, helping others, other people, asking for your help. And I think, you know, that should be the normal way of spending a fruitful day. Today was an unusual day, but still a good day. Um, but yeah, I wonder how much contact you have with other people during in the course of your work. It is very, very easy for me to just put my head down and just look at my computer. I do programming and just look at the code and use that as almost an excuse as, oh, I can't, I'm too busy for you. And the reason I say that is because I think there's an analogy there with like reading the Bible and Jesus. You know, Jesus again says, you know, you come to this word thinking that you have life. It's almost like I come to this programming, to this computer, thinking that this is what it means for me to receive my salary, <laughs> to do my job. But a lot of my job, and I suspect yours as well, has to do with other people and that relationship and that helping one another and that bothersomeness. And actually, at the end of the day, you know, if your accountability isn't to the person who gave you that task, you know, here Jesus has given us that word, and you almost just idolize this and turn this into you become the master of this and we become the master of this word, that kind of thing, and we're not mastered by it. I think it can be a very, very dangerous thing if we do it bit by bit and then it just builds up and builds up. And it's very, very possible. I tell you, it's very, very possible to spend all your days just doing like Bible study and stuff and never ever actually come to the point whereby you're telling someone else the gospel you're telling someone who doesn't know the gospel, you've never actually you know, shared the gospel with anyone. And you can like end up just preaching Sunday sermons every week, but you actually never do the hard work of just loving people and just getting to do getting to know them and just speaking loved lovingly to them with the gospel. And I think uh, that that for me, that I think I think that's just for me. Maybe it's not you, but that that is for me. I think um, uh, it's. I'm just thinking like yesterday. You know, I had that talk that I gave at Crossway, and um, maybe maybe I should have spent a bit more time uh, afterwards. I hung around for the breakout room, so maybe I should have spent more time getting to know them and talking to them. Uh, um, after you know you've preached and I was up since 4 a.m. you know you have all these excuses you know I'm so tired you know I've done my job but actually you know the point is that you're serving people and part of serving people is knowing them and you have to know them in order to love them and loving that loving people is always hard and if that isn't like a priority if that isn't a part of my Sunday schedule a part of serving them I think it almost defeats the purpose of even preparing a sermon or no matter how good and how clear it is, actually, if I don't have people in mind and I don't have Jesus in mind, you know, it's just me and just preparing this talk. It's, you know, <laughs> just, you know, what's the point? Yeah. Okay, okay, let's, let's, let's look at the... Is there only a second reading? Oh, third reading already. Okay, so not so bad. Okay, we are in the third reading, Proverbs chapter 2. My son... <laughs> so many, so many movies come come to my way. Say, my son, um, Darth Vader. Uh, no, you should, shouldn't shouldn't be thinking of Darth Vader and read Proverbs. But you know, someone speaking to his son affectionately, giving advice. So he says, "My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes." If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it, oh, there's a fly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their, in their ways. So the dad is saying to his son, no, seek after wisdom, seek after this understanding, and then God will give this understanding to your heart. Interesting, isn't it? That seeking after something that God will ultimately give you. And what is, what's the connection? Shouldn't be seeking God and then you, God gives you the wisdom? Well, it's kind of like one the same. The way in which God blesses you is by giving you that wisdom. In other words, this wisdom has, has, has an element of seeking God in it. Again, the, the beginning of wisdom is that fear of God. It's seeking to live in a way that is right before God. And that's why you, are, you will be kept from evil and kept from the wrong company. It's almost as if God gives you this knowledge and this desire to live according to His way as a way to protect you, to keep you walking in His way. So again, you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding, give, come hear wisdom, come to me, come to me wisdom, and you seek it like silver. You, you're looking out for it. You're and you know, uh, reading the Bible, you know, constantly thinking after these thoughts as if we're searching for hidden treasure. You know, I, I'm reading this. I really, really want to understand it. I really want to understand. I want to apply it in my lives. I say, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find knowledge of God. And then God gives you this wisdom and it's from his mouth. And it's the idea of again, God's word, the Bible is from his mouth. His spoken word that is written down in the Bible. And then he stores up some wisdom for the upright. It's a particular group of people it gives. People who are righteous learn how to walk in righteous ways. So interesting, isn't it? People who already have this character, or this desire for God's ways, that God then gives them the, the knowledge and the words and the wisdom in order to walk in that knowledge, to walk in that way. So God almost honors that desire by giving us the practical know-how in order to live in that way that honors him. And that protects us, protects us. You know, discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. There's this protective element of having wisdom around you that you will guard you from straying away from God's ways. So let's pick up from verse 16. So... You will be delivered from the forbidden woman. Ha oh, ha, forbidden woman uh, or strange woman. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, ESV footnote, strange woman. You'll be, you'll be delivered. You'll be saved from this forbidden woman. From the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her path to be departed. None who go to her come back nor do they regain the path of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep 
to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out to it. And there's talks about this, this strange, adulterous woman who herself has forsaken God, forsaken her own like family, you know, for her own marriage, her own lover, and is now seeking new lovers. Oh, come to me, come to me. And he says, if anyone goes to her, they never come back. <laughs> so it's a, it's like a one-way trip down this troubled relationship. And it reminds me, it just came to my mind, Augustine, I think it was Augustine, who actually led quite a sordid life when he was young. So before he became a Christian, he actually had relationships that he was ashamed of later. And one day after he'd become a Christian, one of his old girlfriends, uh, I think he was a prostitute actually on the street, said, Augustine, Augustine, come to me, come to me. And it reminds me of this picture again. Augustine, come back, come back to me. And Augustine couldn't recognize her. For, you know, he, he had a relationship with her, but he just couldn't recognize her. And what she said to him was, Augustine, it is I, it is I. And I think if I remember correctly, Augustine looked at her and said, ah, but it is not I, it is not I. Meaning something had changed in him that he no longer had that desire. It was no longer him because God had given him that new heart, that new way of thinking, that new character that no longer had that desire to chase after the things that he used to. So here, wisdom is not just knowing, oh, if I do this, it's the right thing, do that, that's the wrong thing. But it's almost the desire, the want to do that right thing, that godly thing, that righteous thing that lives according to God's ways. So verse 20, if you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. And it's not just talking about you receive this land <laughs> or you live a long time, but you will inherit it. You remain in it. It's a sign of God's blessing. The promised land is a sign of all that God will bless us, not just with this physical land, but with heaven, that relationship with him and all that he wants to give to his people, his sons, that inheritance that he wants to pass down to them. But, verse 22, the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out from it. Meaning, even though you're there now, you'll be cut out. And therefore, there's that warning. If you're now in God's blessing, you know God's ways, don't be cut off from it. Don't cut out and don't leave God's ways such that you'll be left out of God's inheritance, God's love, God's blessing. Yeah, Proverbs chapter 2, very, very helpful. Cool. Last passage, Galatians chapter 1. More water. I am thinking of doing... A recording for this because I dug up a few blog pieces that I wrote on Galatians chapter 1, 2 blog pieces because one covered the first half, the other covered the second half, which means I might do that after this. So I don't know if I want to say too much about it here. Uh, let's see, let's see. I'll read the passage and I'll make some comments. And I don't know, I feel kind of tired. I haven't had dinner. Let's see, let's see, let's see. It's a good passage. Thirty-nine minutes, good. Um, if I can keep it under an hour, I can upload the whole thing to Instagram without having to split it into parts. Twenty minutes, okay, we can do this. Keep it under twenty minutes, short, short. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, 
but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who calls you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone, anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary, different to the one you received, let him be accursed. Accursed means damned, means going to H-E-L-L. For I, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not a man's gospel. Yeah, not a man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through, the, through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in persons to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So Paul is laying down his CV. You know, he tells him a story about how he became this apostle, how he got this gospel from God, and it wasn't from any man. And he's trying to like clarify something here. He's clarifying two things. Number one, this grace of Christ, verse six, and also this gospel of Christ, also in verse six. And he says this grace of Christ is talking about how we are saved not by works, but by grace. That means it's not something that you can do to earn this salvation, but that God gives it to you. Grace, you can think of it as G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Christ's expense means Christ pays for it, and God gives us all his riches to us for free. Not as something we can do, not as something that we can earn. And the reason I say this is because, you know, people in this church will being taught this kind of salvation that said that 
grace was not enough. And you know, if you think, oh, how silly are they? You know, of course, if God was His grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, so so ah, we all sing that, and say, of course, His grace, of course, His grace. But if you've been a Christian for some time, you after a while go, ah, grace is good, but maybe I need to serve in church. Oh, grace is great, but then maybe I need to give more to church. I need to do to do daily Bible reading. So I need to read four passages a day. <laughs> Please do not think that, okay? Um, but it's that. Nickling thought that goes, hey, maybe I need to do something because God has given me so much. And sometimes we use that, don't we? It's like God has given us so much, therefore we need to offer ourselves to this Sunday school and teach in Sunday school. We need to offer some money, that kind of thing. It's And it feels really, really good, therefore, to almost pay back God to make up for all this grace that's given to us. And therefore, if we slip back into this way of thinking that somehow, 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 God wants us to do something to earn and to justify this grace is given to us. And so one of the, the first thing to note is that it's always grace. It's always free. It's not us. It's all Jesus that's done for us on the cross. But the, the other thing also, also in verse 6, let me just read verse 6 again. I am astonished that you guys are so quickly deserting God. I say deserting him. Say, oh, how is it How is it that we deserted God? Imagine you say that to a church, your own church. I'm so shocked that you guys are leaving God. I say, what do you mean? We, we are here in church. You know, we're still, you know, we're still singing songs. We still turn up, you know, some of us served as well. Some of us preached, some of us did this. And that's what they're still doing. They're still going to church. They're still doing all these things. But he says, you guys have deserted God because number one, he called you by God. God, by Christ's grace, you've forgotten that grace and you're turning to a different gospel. So the two things that you've abandoned is Christ's grace and God's gospel. And it's the gospel, it's the message that tells us that it's this grace. It's this authenticating message that God says that therefore you're justified by Christ. And that's why the rest of the passage goes into how Paul says that this message that he preached to them that they've now rejected because they've turned to another message. Oh, it's nice to have grace, but then you need to have some works, you need to do, be circumcised, you need to do some kind of stuff to kind of add on to your grace. So this original message I preached to you that was only by Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, was not something that we made up. It's not by man, but it's completely by God. And that's why Paul needs to defend his apostleship. The idea of apostleship is not saying, I am Sir Paul, then I have this title, Apostle Paul. But rather, apostle means I was sent by God. I'm a representative of God. And therefore, what I say reflects what God says. And therefore, the things that I'm telling you is not just from me or from anyone, one of my buddies here, we all came up with this gospel, but that God sent us together with this message he gave to us to proclaim to you this message that comes directly from God himself. That's why he says in verse 8, if we or anyone else, even an angel comes and preaches to you something that's different from that original message that God himself gave to you, says, go to hell. That's what he means, a curse. He says it twice in verses 8 and 9. Even an angel, even if we change our minds and we preach to you a different gospel that we started out with, we should be a curse as well. And that's just how serious he gives to this authentic message that God has given to them that they had from the beginning. You already have this message. And that's the silly thing, right? It's not that they didn't know this. They didn't receive it. They had it and they trusted in it. They became Christians through it. But now they are turning away to a different kind of gospel. And so that's the first half. The second half, he just talks about just how Paul received it directly from God, directly from God. You know, he used to persecute God, but God chose him and God gave him this revelation from Jesus Christ, verse 
12. I did not receive it from any man. I wasn't taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Says, I used to persecute people. I used to kill kill Christians. And verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism, meaning I used to study in university. I used to go to first class in theology. But that did not make me an apostle. That did not make me suitable. In fact, it made me unsuitable to be an apostle. But God chose me by grace. Verse 15, he who sent me before I was born and called me by his grace revealed his son to me. Meaning it's not something that I knew I worked, I kind of learned, but God had to open up my mind so that he could fill my heart with this gospel of Jesus so that I might preach Jesus amongst the Gentiles. And then he goes on about he didn't consult anyone, he didn't go to all the other apostles, you know, all these other people who had that same grace, who had this gospel, but he didn't quite learn it at this level. He learned it like this. God gave it to him directly. And then he left, <laughs> verse 17, he left that whole space. He went to Arabia and then he returned again. And it shows how he was almost disconnected from any kind of influence at this kind of human level. But at each point of time, it was God calling him by grace, saving him by grace, and giving him this ministry by his grace alone. And it'll pick up, it'll pick up more and more tomorrow, but it ends with how Everyone around him was authenticating this fact that this person, this unlikely person who used to persecute us, verse 23, he who used to persecute us is now preaching this faith he once tried to destroy. He's going like, so this is so crazy. <laughs> of all people, God would use this person. This person on his own would not want to do this. But this unlikelihood just adds to the fact that it was not some kind of human intervention, some kind of human genius idea. We're going to get this former terrorist to become this pastor and plant church planter only god could have done this and therefore verse 24 they glorified god god it's your idea only you could have done it this way and they glorified god because of him again authenticating his ministry as an apostle his message that comes from god and this grace that's come to him and that has also come to this church in galatia yeah okay galatians chapter one um we have, oh, okay, right, good. We can end now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for reminding us again just how wonderful and how true this grace has come to us by through Christ. Help us not to forget this. We tend to slip away from it and think it's something that we need to do, something that we've done, and something that we need to make up for this grace. But from beginning to end, the gospel is the ABCs and the A to Zs about what it means to be saved and to live this life that reflects the salvation we've received through Christ alone. So help us to do this, help us to rely on this, and help us to preach this in such a way that displays His grace, His glory, and not our own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you. Bye.